0: This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In 1991, the rock band Pearl Jam released a song called Jeremy, based on the life of a high school boy, a song which propelled the fledgling band to stardom. This is Jeremy's story. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Jeremy. Jeremy came to school late. What happened next? Before starting this episode, I need to provide a warning that it deals with suicide, and therefore discretion is advised. In the year 1991, a boy by the name of Jeremy was a student in the 10th grade. It was a winter's day in early January, when Jeremy arrived at school and headed to his English class. However, because he was late, the teacher asked him to get a late pass from the office, which was normal school procedure. He left the room but returned a short time later and said to her, Miss, this is what I really went for. Instead of the late pass, she saw that he had a gun in his hand, which he promptly put into his mouth and pulled the trigger. Jeremy shot and killed himself in front of his class of 30 students. This is Jeremy's story and the events that led this young boy to take his life. Jeremy Dell lived with his sister and parents in Dallas, Texas. When he was five years old in 1979, his parents divorced and his father left the family home. His mother became the managing conservator of Jeremy and his sister, and his father had to pay child support. His mother remarried a few years later, and the family moved to a new house. Jeremy then started elementary school, but after the family moved again, he started a new school in grade 6. He then attended a different middle school for grade 7, but failed and had to repeat the year. As Jeremy progressed through school, it was clear that he was a very troubled boy. He got into trouble at school for smoking and truancy, and many of his friends knew that he also had an unhappy home life. He became more and more rebellious and frequently was given in school suspensions. As his depression worsened, Jeremy sought solace in drugs and alcohol. However, when he was in grade nine, his spirits rose. After meeting a girl named Nancy at church, they soon began dating and she became his first true love. Nancy was a year older than Jeremy and was described as a very kind and friendly girl who excelled at school. Having already moved schools a number of times, Jeremy again had to enrol at a new school, as he moved to live with his father. Meanwhile, the more time that Nancy spent with Jeremy, the more she realised that he was a deeply troubled boy. He abused alcohol and smoked pot, but also took drugs such as acid and ecstasy. He listened to music which featured death and suicide and also admitted that he had thoughts of committing suicide himself. He often spoke to her about how he blamed his problems on his parents and sister, saying his dad was very strict, although he also told her that they would smoke pot together. Jeremy also became very possessive of Nancy, and for all of these reasons, she eventually decided to end their relationship after being together for only about a month. And then, just two days after their breakup, Jeremy attempted suicide with an overdose of pills but survived. He was then admitted to an inpatient program at a psychiatric hospital called Timberlawn. His parents then modified custody of Jeremy with his father becoming a managing conservator and his mother had to pay child support. Despite having split up, Jeremy met up with Nancy again when they both attended a church retreat. But it was while at this retreat that he made his second suicide attempt. He climbed up a cliff and threatened to jump. However, churchgoers managed to convince him to come back down to safety. Jeremy was then readmitted to Timberlawn, where he met another girl named Michelle, and they started going together, and it wasn't long before he expressed his love for her and hoped the two of them would get married one day. He was too late to tell friends that she was pregnant with his baby, but after his death, Michelle confirmed that she had never been pregnant. After receiving treatment at Timberlawn, Jeremy was released, but things were not going well between him and Michelle and they eventually broke up. It was then that he went to Nancy's house and said he had a gun and wanted to shoot himself because his girlfriend Michelle had miscarried. So again he was telling untruths about his relationship with Michelle. Nancy did not see any weapon and Jeremy then left without incident. It was then in October 1990 that Jeremy moved schools again. He was now in grade 10 and this had been the sixth school that he had been to, but this one would also be his last. During his time there, his troubles escalated. Students recalled that he asked other students if they owned guns. One classmate confirmed that his dad did have a gun and Jeremy then offered him $200 if he would give him the gun to commit suicide. The boy thought he was just joking, but then Jeremy offered him $1,000 if he would kill him. He didn't report the incident, as he really didn't think he was serious. On another occasion, Jeremy told a student that his girlfriend had his baby, but that she ran off with another boy, which made him depressed and suicidal. This also was not true. But his behaviour further deteriorated to the point where he started threatening teachers with comments such as, wouldn't it be funny if somebody just came in and blew her head off? After classmates reported his behaviour, his school locker was searched, where they found bottles of whiteout, a book called Cults That Kill, books on childbirth and fatherhood and also a deer's leg. Sniffing white out to get a high was common among teenagers at that time. The school principal ultimately decided to call the police. When questioned, he denied making threats against the teachers, that they were just harmless comments. The police spoke with his father and recommended that he receive counselling. His father told the police that Jeremy had already received treatment at Timberlawn but that he would now check into other options for him. Due to all of these misdemeanours, he was put into ISS for the rest of the year until the Christmas break. ISS was in school suspension. Here is how one student described what it was like to be in ISS. During ISS, when I was there, you could not talk to other students and could barely sneak notes. You were only supposed to speak to the teacher on duty and they wouldn't engage you in conversation, just yes or no answers. Ten people maximum when I was there and it was about the equivalent of a large storage room or closet. No talking, no resting your head on the desk. You had to be constantly occupied. It was monotonous. I spent several weeks total in ISS myself. It was very disturbing someone who was ADD would go nuts. Because you're not allowed to talk to others in the room, it is sort of what it would be like to be in solitary confinement, in a sense. I mention all of this because Jeremy was put into ISS shortly after transferring to our high school, mid-year, after his locker was searched. And he had been in ISS for over a month when he walked into Faye Barnett's classroom and shot himself. And here she describes what effect the ISS may have had on Jeremy. Imagine getting out of a hospital and going to a new school, a new start, only to be thrown into ISS shortly after arriving. You'd be hoping for a fresh start and immediately you're put into ISS and basically labelled a degenerate to some degree, A screw-up, at least. The last thing Jeremy needed was isolation, but that, in effect, is what he got. He was placed in there for a period of time longer than many, many other students. The faculty put him in ISS because of the locker search, and I believe the fact that he had come out of a psychiatric hospital. It was a convenient way to keep him in school, but away from the students. Many students stated after his death that they wish they could have talked to Jeremy before this event, but they couldn't because no one had access to him. Someone coming from a psychiatric hospital and into a new school would have really benefited from interaction with other students. Those of you who have ever been transferred to a new school can understand how important communication would have been for Jeremy. And anyone that comes out of a psych hospital, at least in the past and up to the recent past, the stigma of being a nut case causes them to doubt themselves and be quite introverted. It was then two days before he would take his life that Jeremy and Michelle spoke on the phone. He told her he was on acid and she remembered that he seemed depressed as always. He said that he would die for her. Michelle was worried about Jeremy and so decided to call his mother. However, she felt that his mother didn't seem to be too concerned. So Jeremy stayed in ISS until the Christmas break, then returned to school and was put straight back in to ISS. On that Monday, the day before his death, he wrote notes back and forth with his friend Lisa, who was also in ISS. They had been together there before and often wrote notes, talking about their lives and problems. Then after school on that Monday, Jeremy went to his usual counselling session with his doctor and then went home. He then called Nancy and told her that this would be the last time they would talk, as he and his dad were moving to Japan the next day. But she thought it was strange that they had decided to move so abruptly. It was discovered later that no such move had been planned. Jeremy also told her that he had brought a ring for her, which he would post to her the next day. He asked her to always wear the ring to remember him while he was in Japan. It would be determined after his death that the ring he wanted to give Nancy had actually belonged to his father's girlfriend. It was also her gun which he took from an unlocked drawer. Jeremy also called another friend that night, asking for his help to get rid of a stolen stereo and getting drugs for a friend in rehab. He also spoke about how he hated living at home with his dad. That night, his father described Jeremy as behaving in his usual manner. They watched TV together and then Jeremy went to bed so nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. The next day, before going to school, Jeremy called Nancy one last time and asked her if she would still be there when he came back from Japan, and she assured him that she would. He also told her he was stoned on marijuana. Nancy was to say later that Jeremy seemed in good spirits, not saying anything about suicide. Jeremy then arrived at school and headed over to the cafeteria, where he met up with friends. He gave the package with the ring to a friend and asked her to mail it to Nancy, as he wasn't going to be around after school. But there was no mention about moving to Japan. They said that he seemed unusually happy. Jeremy then made a few phone calls to some friends at Timberlawn. It would later be determined that some of those friends had contacted Jeremy's parents in the weeks before his death, saying that something was not quite right about him, but it seems his parents didn't think it was anything serious. While on his way to his classroom, Jeremy was hugging teachers and students and saying goodbye to everyone. This really stood out to people, as it was not his usual behaviour. At 9am, Jeremy's father was called by the school office, asking where Jeremy was, as he hadn't arrived at school. This was normal school procedure, but his father was surprised to hear that he wasn't there. Jeremy had finally entered his classroom at 9.30 and then took his life. Here is an account from a staff member who interacted with Jeremy before he took his life. Quote, On the actual day Jeremy took his life, I saw him on the phone in the Commons area. He should have been in in in-school suspension. He was supposed to stay there for the rest of the semester. Now, I just need to note here that a semester is six months or half a year. Well, at least it is here in Australia. So I assume it's the same in the US. I went over to him and I said, Jeremy, you have really been doing well. Let's not start the year off wrong. Head up to ISS and get into class. He was so sweet. He really, really was happy for some reason. I felt like I could approach him on that day, although there were days when I didn't feel like I could approach him. Jeremy reached up and hugged me, which was very unusual. I thought I would talk to him later if I could. I went to the teacher's lounge and left Jeremy. A little while later, a student named Eris came into the office with an emergency pass. He was not in her room, but was passing by and heard the gunshot. He looked into the room and Mrs Barnett was frozen. Eris ran to the desk, got the emergency pass, lined up the students and Mrs Barnett and took them to the auditorium. He took control of the situation and brought to the emergency pass to the office of Jeremy Bishop, the principal. Mr Bishop came running out and said, I need the nurse and all the principals to come with me. There was another principal's office on the way, and they stopped and got him too. Mrs Barnett was still in her room, frozen. Mr Bishop became hysterical, screaming to the nurse, You can't let him die. Jeremy was already gone. There was nothing that could be done. She slapped Mr Bishop to get him to calm down. The gun was close to Jeremy, so Mike, an officer who had been in the office when the commotion started, kicked the gun away. The calibre of the bullet was not correct for the type of gun used, yet the bullet still went off. The police investigation into his death uncovered suicide letters that he had written. Here is what he wrote to Nancy. To Nancy. Sorry Nancy, by the time you get this letter, I will have blown my head off. A.K.A. Suicide. Better known as Last Way Out. Newsflash not your fault. It's Michelle's along with about another 137.5 other problems. I am just writing to you to see if you wanted to go to the funeral. Call my house and ask for my dad. At least you didn't have to hear the boom. Love, Jeremy Wade Dell. Now it's been speculated that his reference to 137.5 was referring to his weight, so perhaps he also had body issues. Another suicide note read, To whoever I decide this is to, I have a lot going on, a little too much more than what I can handle. I'm in too much pain and I just want you to understand why I'm doing this. I don't hate myself, I hate what's going on in my life. My parents, a new school, I feel like I don't fit in anywhere. I realise that there will be friends that will try to ask me why I feel like I had to do this. I feel it's the only way. I'd rather end my own life than others and that's what it's going to come down to. So I'm taking the shame out of myself. Thanks to the only people that was ever good to me, the people that was there for me. I figure it's been so many you all won't even know I'm gone and as for the ones that tried to hurt me, you didn't. I know Mrs Barnett is going to ask me to get a pass, but I ain't getting that damn pass. I'm getting the gun, and the next time you see me, I'm going to blow my fucking brains out. I want my blood to shed on everybody. I want everybody to feel my pain, and seeing me die will make them feel pain. To my dad, shit, what kind of shit is that? And my mum, I'm not going to waste my breath. Well, goodbye, everyone. See you in better days. And now let's look at how other people saw Jeremy. Here is what one student said, quote, Jeremy had a kind heart. He really did. Not very many people got close enough to see that. He hid behind a very dark yet macho cloud. Yet he was the most timid person I ever met His mum basically abandoned him and his dad was no saint either. In fact, he was too wrapped up into his new life to notice what was going on with Jeremy. I remember telling him about my horrible life and vice versa. One day I came to class and he was gone. They took him away to a mental hospital. I kept thinking, thank God, he's going to get the help he needs. But I never thought for once he was suicidal. I never saw him again. And here is how another person tried to explain why Jeremy did what he did. Quote, For any adolescent, moving several times in a short time span, changing classes all the time, not really being able to keep long-lasting friends or develop relationships must lead to feelings of alienation. Jerry must have felt this way too, like he was not able to fit in anywhere, although this was hardly his fault adding to the fact that it was probably not true, as some friends remember him to this day. Depression makes you not realise those things. Add the broken home he came from, with all the weirdness this brings. Almost every divorced child can whistle this tune to some degree. It became apparent Jeremy wanted to have a functional family of his own. I guess this is why he so desperately searched for a girlfriend who was committed to marry him in order to start a family. Something to call his own. All those problems were destined to worsen his mental condition. Now, besides all of these reasons, there also could have been another reason why Jeremy took his life. He had once confided in Nancy that he had been molested as a child by his grandfather. This certainly could explain his mental health issues, but there was never any police investigation into this matter. So perhaps they had concluded that it may have just been another of the many stories that Jeremy told. So as a teacher, here are my thoughts about this story. Shouldn't he have been given a fresh start at the start of the year? But no, it seems they just didn't know what to do with him. So they just kept him in ISS. There was no learning occurring. He was just sitting in that room all day. So he had done that for a month. He then comes back to school in January and goes straight back into ISS. So everything must have felt so hopeless to him. He just couldn't fathom another day in ISS, let alone a whole semester. And this was back in the 1990s, and I would assume ISS is much different these days. Now, I'm a primary school teacher, so I don't know how things work in high school in the US. We actually don't have ISS. In primary school, that is. If a child is suspended for behaviour issues, they have to go home. We don't have a detention room, so to speak. I don't know about other places or schools in Australia, but I'm assuming in high schools they do have such a thing. But his suspension did seem to be so extreme. No wonder he felt so hopeless. And the fact that he took his life at school seemed to send a very clear message. He could have taken his life over the Christmas break. We know that he had a gun because he told Nancy that he had it. But he waited until school resumed. To me, he was saying, I'm doing this because of how I was treated and how the school tried to deal with my issues to just lock me away in solitary confinement. So after Jeremy took his life, a newspaper published the details about his death and the lead singer of a rock band called Pearl Jam read the article and it inspired him to write a song called Jeremy, which is now an iconic song. At that time, the band were only new and the song appeared on their first album. Pearl Jam then went on to be an iconic band. While it may seem that the band had the right intentions to immortalise the life of a young boy through the song, The reality was that it caused quite some controversy. It was criticised because of the way in which Jeremy was portrayed, which was said not to be correct. Critics claimed that it made a lot of assumptions about Jeremy and the things in his life which may have caused him to take his life. The lead singer of the band, Eddie Vedder, made numerous statements that the lyrics were taken from people he knew himself who had troubled lives as teenagers and not just Jeremy. He said it was not meant to be an accurate portrayal of just Jeremy. I accept this explanation. However, what I find disturbing is the video of the song. At the end, instead of using artistic techniques to show that Jeremy took his life, the video actually shows the boy portraying Jeremy putting the gun into his mouth. The next you see students in the class wearing white shirts with blood splatter all over them. The video caused much controversy and so they released an edited version, but I managed to find the unedited version on my very first try, so it certainly wasn't removed from the web. I really think they should have portrayed his death more sensitively and it's a cynic in me which believes they knew exactly what they were doing, that such a graphic video would receive a lot of attention and they certainly succeeded. So it seems that Jeremy's woes stemmed from his home life. So I searched for what his parents had to say about his death and the following are statements from his father and mother. So let's look at his father first. To whom it may concern, on January the 8th, 1991, my son stood in front of his English class, put a .357 revolver in his mouth and pulled the trigger He was 15 years old and his name was Jeremy. He was my only son. I slowly learned through grief counselling to put one foot in front of the other and got through each day despite the constant pain and unbelievable anguish no parent should ever have to endure. I had been approached by reporters who knocked at my door uninvited. My phone rang at odd hours with some stranger wanting to know why he did it. Notes left on my door or in my mailbox, and then found that a group had written a song that was in heavy rotation on MTV. The song was Jeremy by Pearl Jam. It made them famous. It caused me to sell my house and move. For the past 18 years, I have gotten those same notes and phone calls even though I moved away from Richardson. The notes come from Germany and England as well as the US. They always want the same thing. They want a piece of information or something that belonged to Jeremy. When I visit his grave, I often find notes and artefacts left by fans. There are also a number of websites dedicated to Jeremy that spread misinformation and half-truths, offered by people who claim to have known him well enough to have inside information. My anguish is just as deep with each call, note or email. And here is his mother's statement. My family suffered a great loss on the day that Jeremy died. It has been a long and painful journey for each of us. There is not a day that goes by that I do not think of my son. My family was affected in ways that I hope others never have to experience. Our lives were changed forever that day and will never be normal as we knew it ever again. People who never met him or knew him chose to write a song, produced a video, and wrote many articles about that day. People who never had a personal relationship with him condensed his life to one day. There was so much more to Jeremy's life than that fateful day. Now this is all I could find from his parents. However, his mother recently gave an interview some 27 years after his death. So listen here to what she had to say. That day that he died
1: did not define his life. He was a son, a brother, a nephew, a cousin, a grandson. He was a friend. He was talented.
2: On January 8, 1991, her son walked into his English classroom at Richardson High School and shot himself in front of his peers. In an instant, everything changed.
1: I was at my office, work. And what was your immediate reaction? I didn't believe it. I was in shock, not my son. I was gonna pick him up that afternoon at school.
2: Even now, his mother is not sure as to the why. How did you get through the fact that it happened in front of children?
1: I didn't think about it. I mean, you literally go into a fog. He drew this in, in 1982.
2: When you walk into Wanda's home today, Jeremy is everywhere.
1: His best of shows ribbon. He won first prize at the Texas State Fair. He won best of shows. And this is all before he was, you know, 12 years old.
2: He drew this award winning picture of an elephant when he was just seven years old. Jeremy clearly had a gift. Uh, This
1: is the room where we meet each Wednesday night.
2: 12 years ago, Wanda decided to move on by helping others. She started leading a grief support group at her church.
1: When you see school shootings now, what do your eyes see? I think of the mothers. I think of the sisters. I think what will be said or what opinions will be thought about the student. but It's the mothers and the sisters that I, I want to wrap my arms around and tell them that someday it'll, it'll be better.
0: Now, I didn't find anything about whether the school's actions were scrutinised, so it appears they weren't. And the same appears to be the case with the psychiatric facility. But I did read that he had to be released because his father's insurance policy had run out. So could it just be the case that a lack of money prevented this young boy from receiving the help that he desperately needed? But what struck me as I was researching this story was the lack of photos of Jeremy and his family. There are only a few photos of him but no typical family shots, as you may expect. This could be a result of the family breakup following the divorce. However, what does remain of Jeremy is his artwork. If you search online for Jeremy Dell, you can find his art, which just shows that he was very talented at a very young age. So just search for Jeremy Dell, D-E-L-L-E. And to end this episode, you will hear the song dedicated to Jeremy with the very haunting chorus which says Jeremy spoke in class today. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.